Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and happy first Monday of August. Seriously, how did this happen? I just go so quickly. And I'm just thrilled, as always, to do this every week with such outstanding guests. And I'm so very, very grateful. And my guest today is Shannon Wallace. She is the author of a number one international bestseller, We the Change, launching big ideas and creating new realities. Thank you for joining me today, Shannon. Hey, Marsha. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, a nice ad for me is it's my birthday week. So this is really such a delight to be here on, on my birthday week. Great. Okay, everybody, you know what you can do? Here's your gift. Go out and buy the book. I'll make sure you give, I'll give you the link. It's so simple. And I'm sorry that this is not visual because this book cover is really awesome. It in itself tells a story, and I'm all about storytelling. So I, I just I love this. So very happy birthday to you. I thought, I thought we could start off by having you tell our guests a little bit about yourself. You know, who are you and where are you from? Well, um, I am, uh, you know, a woman from a small town in South Dakota, Sioux Falls. Not so small anymore, but uh, I grew up in the Midwest. And, you know, usually when I introduce myself to people, I like to tell them uh, not my chronological history or experience, but really more about who I am, which is right. I'm in messenger of hope and an agent of transformation, a guardian uh, of the innocent, mother to the lovelies, and guide of we the change. And, and that's really personal for me, and it has to do with my purpose in life. Um, and each one of those has a special meaning. So, uh, you know, but beyond that, you know, kind of my background and experience, I have over 30 years of experience in big consulting firms and also as an internal consultant focused on organizational change and leadership development at companies, first internally at Coca-Cola and then later Microsoft, where I was the head of high potential leadership development. And then more recently, my own firm, uh, Shannon Wallace Solutions, uh, with uh, branded, co- branded content under Cascade Leadership. So uh, my focus is really enabling individuals organizations, and communities to transform, whatever transformation means for them. Well, you know, you're, you're obviously very um, accomplished, but I also feel a, an enormous amount of humbleness when you speak about yourself, and, I, and I, I respect that. So I love this book, We the Change. I love how you capitalized we. And I thought, we, I'd like to know, why did you decide to write this to start with? Well, actually, I, I wrote it for my daughters, who are now 15 and 17. And I, it, it happened, I was in the middle of uh, a coaching workshop 
and another coach said to me, what's something that you want to do next? And I said, I want to write a book. And it just literally kind of blurted out of my mouth. And he said, who's the book for? And I said, it's for my daughters. And, what, and then he asked, what's it about? And I said, it is about helping them to create whatever they want in their lives. And it honestly kind of took me by surprise. But really, I wrote it for them. If they're the only two people in the world who ever read it, my work is done. But in oh, that's great. meanwhile, thank you. Yeah, but meanwhile, <laughs> friends have asked to read it, too. So that's how it became right. a book. Right. But it, it's... Uh, it's it's tremendous. I I sometimes think that we don't recognize. I'm a parent of two adults, and sometimes we we don't really think about the effect that we've had on our children. I've had a lot of conversations recently about that with my own children, and I'm a widow, and we actually had I had an interesting conversation with my daughter this weekend about. Well, what do you really remember about dad? And how did he really influence your life? And sometimes those are questions that we don't really stop and think about from our our children's perspective. We know how we felt. So I think that this is, I think this is wonderful. And I, I believe that your mother's story really and your childhood experiences really helped you, inspire you to write this book. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I grew up in a really humble home. Uh, more specifically, I grew up under the poverty line in the United States. But I think I grew up quite privileged because I've had the opportunity to work on six continents, travel and see also what true poverty looks like in other parts of the world. And because I was fortunate enough to be born in the United States, I grew up quite privileged. I had health care. I had food. I had a roof over my head. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But at the same time, um, you know, all of that's relative. When I was a kid and our family situation changed pretty dramatically as when I was a middle school girl, um, seeing that happen and experiencing it was quite hard. And at that point in time, um, I felt like I had very little. And you know, and my mother was an artist, but she didn't have a college education. And she was able to get a full-time job, but at minimum wage, which really is tough to take care of a family as a single parent on minimum wage. And she had four kids. And I remember her once looking at me one day and said, don't let this happen to you. Get an education. And what she really meant was we were living, you know, just basically hand to mouth. And my mom had these amazing ideas for her artwork, but she, you know, when you're really just trying to survive and make it month to month, some days day by day, um, you know, thinking about what you want to create in your life is very hard, something that goes beyond your mere survival. And she certainly didn't have the resources I had, access to an education, coaches who could support you, you know, consultants who could give you, tell you how to launch your idea. And so for me, when I, as I started writing the book, you know, I, I said, at first I thought I was writing just for my daughters. And then I realized I was really writing for people like my mom who had these beautiful ideas of something they wanted to create in the world. And it might even change their family situation if they could execute it, but they just didn't have any guidance. 
And so that's really as the book started to take shape, I realized I'm writing for women who are primarily kind of in their mid-20s to late 30s who have a beautiful idea that they want to execute, but they don't know how to get started. And because this is what I do. I've, I've transformed my own life. I live a very different life than out of my childhood. And I help to work with, you know, organizations, teams, leaders to transform theirs as well. What does it look like for, for the individual, to the team, to the organization and community? And, and I, you, I did hear you say uh, women um, in their mid-20s mm-hmm. to early 30s. But I, I would presume that if men are listening to this today, they could apply this to themselves as well. Is that right? Yeah, and I can share, you know, I have, in fact, I would tell you I probably have mostly male clients because I do a lot of work in high tech and there are a lot of engineers and that skews toward Mm -hmm. men and uh, several have read the book and told me it's very relatable. Uh, I was very clear that when I was writing it that I knew who my audience was and so there are certain things that, you know, I share with women, kind of woman to woman, girlfriend to girlfriend, kind of like you do in your conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that women will probably resonate with more than men would. But still, I, I think what I hear from my clients is that, yeah, these these tools that you share and kind of the stories that you share about where we all get stuck in, you know, usually some version of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy enough, um, mm-hmm. these are things that impact my career as well. Right. Wow. You so – so where did, where I'm just curious where did you, where did you get your education? So I was incredibly fortunate. Um, I will tell you that my life would not be the same if Northwestern University had oh. not made it possible for me to go to school there. So Northwestern, I just credit, and I, I'm always trying to give back from that standpoint because this is hard to believe, but I could not afford to go to South Dakota State University. But Northwestern University made it possible for me to go. And, is, of course, you know, uh, I had loans ahead. and, you know, I worked three jobs. And, you know, so I had work study. I had other jobs. Um, you know, I had scholarships. But Northwestern helped me figure it out, whereas South Dakota State University just said, this is your family contribution. And when I looked at it, I thought, I have no way. I have no idea or any way to make that happen. So, I can say that, you know, transformation comes from a lot of places. It it often makes me quite emotional because I think I thought for so long, Marcia, that I did everything by myself, and yet I had so many supporters along the way helping me to create the life that I really wanted for myself and my family. You know, I happen to love Northwestern personally. My daughter did a six-week program there in high school that was just over the top and it's an incredible university but for you to get into northwestern you had to have been prepared prior they don't just say well come on by so i i would imagine that you had some mentors and people that helped you in high school to get you to this vision so you know i i i, I want to congratulate you on being so tenacious and persistent to be able to actually do this and navigate this when you're kind of, you've got the headlights on, but it's like, which way am I going? I, I think it's so, 
it's so inspiring, I would say that, and I'm sure that your daughters are inspired by your story. I'm just curious, do you mind telling me, or how old are your daughters? I have no idea. Uh, they're 15 and 17. So my wow. daughter just so, graduated from high school. Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's pretty cool to look at mom and go, whoa, look what my mom did, look what our mom did. I, I think it's it's remarkable. When, and people go to your uh, website, and I'm just going to just tell them really quickly, it's called Cascade Leadership Solutions. I mean, let me just say this more clearly, cascadeleadership.solutions.com, and you will be able to go no. and... and I'm saying that incorrectly. Please say it correctly for me. <laughs> no worries. You're right. There's because no dot com the after that. There's right. no dot com. It's just cascadeleadership.solutions. Um, originally, when I was trying to get cascadeleadership.com, uh, somebody else owned it, and they didn't want to sell it. And then I thought, you know, really what I'm all about are solutions. So yeah. that's how I ended up with cascadeleadership.solutions. I love it. You know, don't we all want solutions? I mean, don't we all have questions regardless of what it's about? I mean, it could be about the weather. It could be about your career. It could be about so many things. But you have to know the process of how to get where you want to go. And I think that that's mm-hmm. what's so incredible about your book. Um, and I'm wondering, what elements, based on your experience, of your professional and your personal experience are reflected in this book. But let's start with your professional experiences. What What is reflected in your book from a professional standpoint? So I, I will say I'm very proud of how I integrated the content. So, you know, I am a student for more than 30 years around how change actually takes place. So, my experience in consulting was around large-scale organizational change. I learned a lot of different models and approaches. Um, if you go out and Google, for example, I think you come up with more than 3 billion websites just on change, if you say how to make change happen. And it's wow. overwhelming. And so I have taken what I think are the best change tools that I use with my clients and integrated them into a story, and I use um, El Camino de Santiago as a metaphor. It's El Camino de Santiago is a 500-mile, or if you're you know, using the metric system, 800-kilometer uh, medieval footpath that goes across northern Spain. And I use that metaphor as a way to help people navigate getting from one part of Spain in the northeast near in the Pyrenees on the French-Spanish border all the way over to the northwest of Spain uh, in Santiago de Compostela. And so, you know, I started my career in Troopers and Librand and then Price Waterhouse, uh, learning their change models, and then I went internally with Coca-Cola. Uh, this was more than 20 years ago. Really learning how, you know, it was interesting to work on change, but from the external standpoint, and then wonder why companies spend so much money on change projects with 80% of them failing. And then when I went into SideCoke, I became the student inside and, and really came to this conclusion that, oh, project, change fails when a leader is not on board. So they might say the right thing, but they don't do the right thing. And I believed it had to be the most senior leader until I went to Microsoft. 
And I went to Microsoft. I was asked to start leadership development for the sales, marketing, and services group, which at that time was about half the company. And I wasn't a senior leader, but I was kind of a mid-level leader. And what I found it out is it might take longer, but if you have true commitment and vision and you, you, you take enough time to engage people in a way that you understand what's important to them, that you can find that piece that connects with them and they want to be a part of it so that you can overcome kind of basically their resistance to change. So I really evolved in my thinking about how change happens, um, you know, kind of from that external standpoint to actually seeing it delivered and realizing each one of us can be that leader. So, you know, to me, leadership is simply what I call a micro act of bravery, standing up in the moment of courage and saying, this is what I want to achieve. And, you know, then sticking to that. But it, it's right. But that's really kind of my, you know, that's my professional background is going through big consulting, later into, you know, internal consulting, and then, you know, out on my own 10 years ago, where, you know, this is all I specialize in now is leadership and organizational change work. Do you think that, um, I want to hear the personal side of this, and maybe that's what you're about to say. Do you, when did you do the Camino? 20, 2002, is that right? Well, it's funny. I've, I've done it twice. The first time oh. was in 2002. Uh-huh. Uh, so 2000, 2002, I walked the entire Camino um, across northern Spain. Then in 2016, I guided a group of women uh, in the wow. last 110 kilometers, and I'm getting ready to go September <gasps> 2nd with my oldest daughter. Oh, my God. Oh, I, I, I just got to personalize this right now. September 2nd? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? My yeah, cousin Brent, who is listening to this show right now, who has walked the Camino, was so interested in hearing about you and the fact that he also wants to go back and walk that Camino. He said it is life-changing. And for you to be able to go back with your daughter and do that mm. with her, I, 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 I mean, it's hard for me not to put my hand over my heart and think about what that means. I know people that have done this. Are you, are you going to do the full? You're not going to do the full 500 in September, are you? Are you just doing the, the smaller? We're doing the smaller section. Called, it's the piece. It's the last 110 kilometers that actually okay. gives you what's called the Compostela or the certificate. And okay. we're doing just that section because my daughter is getting ready to moved to Spain. She wants to be bilingual oh, in Spanish, God. and she has Spanish citizenship, so she's going to go live with family for a year, take a gap year before going on to college. Wow. Wow. Do you, do you see? I mean, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, Shannon, my God, the stage that you set, tension of, well, this is what I'm going to do for my daughters, but by living this and doing this, it's just, I can't wait to read her book. Holy cow. So on this personal experience in your book, you, you told us about your professional side, but tell us a little bit more about this personal experience that you have had. Well, you know, and, and this is 
quite a story in and of itself, but I'll try to kind I'm of ready. fast forward through it, Marcia. Um, uh, so what prompted me to go on the Camino? Well, it really started in June of 1999. I was participating uh, in a leadership and spirituality development program. I was at Coca-Cola. They sponsored me for it. It was a one-year program where we met for four weekends. And in June of 1999, I was doing a vision quest where literally I'm standing in the middle of a forest and light breaks through these branches of a tree. And I heard that I should go to northern Spain and do something spiritual. And I had no idea what that was. I'd never heard of the Camino. Oh my God. Um, and so basically what happened is, it's, like I said, it's a rather lengthy story that I tell in the book. And kind of the highlights are, uh, a couple of days later, I'm back at Coke. Uh, Coke, uh, my manager walks in and says, hey, a job opened up in Madrid, Spain. Would you be interested? Jumped out of my chair thinking, this is it. I'm, I'm going to go to Spain. But that job vaporized. But I did find myself in November of 99, moving to Vienna, Austria, for a different job. So my husband and I move, but then I am not kidding you, two weeks after we move, the whole business model changed because the CEO at that time, Doug Auguster, was uh, basically asked to resign by the board, and a new CEO came on board. And four weeks after that, so I'm in Europe for six weeks, my furniture has arrived on a Friday, and I find out on Monday that my job has been eliminated because the new CEO has basically gotten rid of or fired my new boss, who is the president of Central Europe and Eurasia. So this kind of became this cascade of many, many different events of kind of what I joke as anything that could go wrong did go wrong. So, you know, Uh we move over there. My husband has left his job with Accenture to follow me and support me. I lose my job. So neither of us are employed. He is half Spanish. He gets a job in Madrid. So we end up moving to Madrid. So he's in that job, but he becomes, he's miserable in the job. So he leaves the job. So now we're in around, you know, uh, late, uh, you know, it's, we've moved over in 99. We are now in September of 2000. We are, we've moved to Spain. Within a few months, my husband decides he doesn't want to stay in the job with the consult, consulting firm he's with. He rejoins a company he had been a part of in the United States as their European representative, but as 100% commission. And we find out as he's trying to build his clientele that I'm pregnant and expecting. So we're completely overjoyed, but we have no money Mm -hmm. coming in. So we thought, well, he, he had done this kind of work before as a consultant. He thought that he could build the relationship, but he was also a Marine reservist. So in June of 2001, he decides to then go to, you know, he's going to go over to um, the United States and spend three months at Camp Lejeune doing a reserve assignment. So this is like mid-June of uh, 2001. And literally the day that he leaves, I go to the doctor and I find out I've miscarried. And I had a very rare type of miscarriage called mis-miscarriage. And it's... Yeah, it's basically where your body, um, it your body, I think, kind of wants to hold on to it, but it it won't. The you know the fetus has passed, and you there's nothing you can do. And so, um, you know, three weeks had gone by. He is on a flight 
when I learned it. So I can't even tell. Oh, my God, you must have felt so alone. Wow. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. You know, and and I find out, oh, I miscarried three weeks earlier, and neither of us had known. Wow. So he's over there. We make it through the summer. It was, you know, really tough summer. And then he was supposed to come home on September 15th. And we were, you know, completely looking forward to it, excited, kind of to get our life back, you know, on track. And September 11th happened. So oh, coming boy. Back, he's, yeah, he's mobilized. Now, I will say we were fortunate. He's a communications officer. He went to Stuttgart, Germany, uh, because that's where they house, you know, like work on the satellite system. But I couldn't be with him, not at that, not at that time. And, but we were able to connect for another week. And in that week, I got pregnant again, and I was really excited. And then um, I go to Houston to help my sister uh, with her new baby, and I found out I miscarried a second time while I was in Houston. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. So now we're coming up on the holidays and the new year, and mm-hmm. I went to meet him for just a couple of days in Stuttgart, and literally it's like New Year's Eve. We have a, both have a glass of champagne. It's just the two of us, and he clinks my glass, and he says, you know, it was a really tough year but it couldn't get any worse, clink. And my stomach turned over, and two days later I found out that my mom had cancer. Oh, and my God. my mom is, I know, it was just, you know, honestly, it was, like I said, it was the anything that could go wrong would go wrong. Wow. And my mom told me not to worry, but as you can imagine, my mom sure. is such a rock for me. And, um, you know, even given all of our hard times, my mom was always the one who was there. And... So, you know, I find this out and I, because at that time I was having a hard time also getting a work visa in Spain, even though my husband had Spanish citizenship, um, I was the one in my family who was able to go and be with my mom through her surgery, through her chemo and radiation. And they thought it was stage one when I was flying over and then they found out it was stage four and she had maybe a 5% chance of living to five years. And so this kind of just threw my whole world up. Now, you know, coming back to your original question, kind of the personal transformation, when I got through all of that, so it's been about a year, since, over a year since my husband and I have lived together, he gets a couple of weeks of leave, and he's able to come see me in Spain. And I've flown back. We meet in Spain. And I was home for a few days, and during those days, I don't know why, I had stacked up all of my books about the Camino. I had about eight of them on my side of the bed, on my bedside table. And he saw them. And I remember we're in the bedroom talking, and he sees the books, and he says, are you walking the Camino? And I froze. It was in this moment of, am I walking the Camino? I couldn't be walking the Camino. We have two weeks together. We haven't seen each other for a year. I can't do this. And he just looked at me and he said, I think you should go. Wow. It it still to this day gives me chills because I think Mm -hmm. at that moment, I didn't know that until he said that, I didn't know that something was really broken in me. I had gone through a lot of pain Mm -hmm. and loss, you know, from moving country, uh, not once but twice, losing my job, losing, you know, the children that I had wanted going through all of the, you know, the concerns with my mom's cancer. 
But when he said I should go, I thought he knows something's wrong with me because he wouldn't be telling me to go right now. And I didn't know what was wrong. In that moment, I didn't know. But I pulled it together. I got, you know, a pack together. I invited a friend who ended up coming with me, my my dear friend Susan from, uh, we know each other from Duke, where I went for grad school. And she had studied in Spain and said, if you ever walk the Camino, let me know. And she was able to join me. And we left, and I was on the Camino within about two weeks. Wow. And I started walking, and that really became this journey of personal transformation and kind of looking back, reflecting on my life, and understanding some real key truths um, that I kind of lied to myself about and, you know, kind of purging all of my pain, et cetera, et cetera. But that, that, that journey solidified for me kind of everything I knew at that time professionally about change but then also right. helped me to discover what do I know personally about change as I went through the journey. You know, it, it's a really inspiring story. Um, it sounds like just an enormous amount of grief, um, but it also sounds like so much love. I mean, what, you, what you're describing, mm-hmm. what your husband, the sacrifices that, that you both made – I'm sure it was not an easy decision to make, but it transformed your life, didn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can, I point, it's kind of like before the Camino and after the Camino. Right. I can see why you would say that. So let me ask you this. So you've written this book. There's a lot of background that goes into it. Not Not to mention, let's not skip over an enormous amount of incredible professional background in the companies that you worked with. But when you wrote this book, who did you write it for? Who did you, you, you mentioned the 20 and 30 year olds, correct? I mean, kind of, that was kind mm-hmm. of who you had in mind, right? Um, yep. Do you see, I mean, I personally see that it's applicable, honestly, to anyone that's listening. Um, that may have been your intention as you began this book but i know you know what what's what are the two big words we've been hearing for the last feels like two years one is pivot and one is zoom Mm -hmm. you know those two words seem to be the, the words of the day and i think so many people have pivoted they've they've pivoted the way they work they pivoted the way they've lived they've just pivoted their lifestyle in so many ways and I think that this book, for people that are looking to make change, which is absolutely what this is all about, which is what you talk about, um, this, this is that book. And I will make sure that people know, just so that you know, that I will um, add that link to um, my um, promotion after the show is over so that people can, um, can purchase it. But I can just tell you all right now, if you go to Shannon Wallace, and Wallace is spelled W-A-L-L-I-S dot com solutions forward slash we dash the 
dash change. You will see that the book is there. You can buy it right off the site. You can you can see all about it. it, it it's really pretty awesome, and you make it really easy for people to 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 know more about this book. But let's let's delve a little deeper. What would you say to someone who has an idea but doesn't know where to begin or doesn't feel that they are capable of getting it done? That kind of happened to me. I didn't, I mean, I didn't plan to be a podcaster. So what would you say to somebody that says, God, I've got this idea, but I don't, I don't know, where, where do I start? How, how, I don't know how to do this. What would you say to that person? Well, I tell them to buy the book. <laughs> but for, yes. from there, I tell you, so let me just, I, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book and why I'm Please. saying that. Because the book is written in two parts. And the first part is a story. It's my story of walking El Camino de Santiago and what I learned from it. And I specifically talk about 11 lessons. And right. then part two are, it has more than 40 uh, self-guided coaching exercises. And these are exercises I've worked on and developed for over 30 years. So these are actual coaching exercises I use with my clients. Um, to help them launch a big idea. And, you know, really my, my focus is let's take your idea and turn it into a new reality. So that's why I talk about right. launching big ideas and creating new realities. So let's say you have that idea. Um, what's really critical in change that most people don't know is there is a great metaphorical equation. It's a multiplication equation that I think sums up why people don't make change happen. So it, right. it looks like this. It's D times B times S is greater than R. So what are those elements? So dissatisfaction of your current state, vision of your future, and first step to close the gap between where you're at today and where you want to be. So dissatisfaction of the current state times vision of your future times the gap between those two overcomes is greater than resistance to change. And so when you have a big idea, it's awesome if you have the idea and you can see it. The next thing to ask yourself is what in my current situation is dissatisfying to me enough that I'm willing to go for this vision? Because if you lack dissatisfaction, you will not go for it. So think of that again as a multiplication equation. It comes from Gleicker and Beckard out of MIT. In multiplication, if any one of those elements is a zero, the product is zero. So if you're missing dissatisfaction, if you're missing vision, or if you're missing first step, those elements become zero. The product is zero. You do not overcome resistance to change. So each one of those has to be built out. So have your vision, awesome. Why are you dissatisfied? You've got to figure that out. And it doesn't have to be, you know, everything in your life is falling apart like mine was when I went to go walk Camino. It can be, you know, I wrote a book and my life was basically, you know, pretty great. Um, you know, I have the career I want. I have the family I want. I live in a nice home and a nice community. I get to give back to my community, uh, you know, I was happy. I didn't have a lot of dissatisfaction. So why would I create the book? And I have some tools and techniques, and the, one of them that I used came from Susie Welch, who has this exercise called 10-10-10, where you ask yourself, if I don't follow through on my vision, 
in 10 minutes from now, how will I feel? And I thought, eh, you know, probably not much. 10 months from now, how will I feel? So I'll probably be a little disappointed in myself, but I probably would have gotten a lot of other things done and feel satisfied. 10 years from now, how will you feel? And I, I just fell apart in tears because I thought, I have been so blessed to know in my life how to make big dreams come true. And what if something happened to me and I never passed that information on to my own girl? And then they have to go through kind of everything I went through to figure it out on their own when I could help them. And I didn't wow. help somebody like my mom get out of poverty when I've been blessed with this knowledge that I could pass on. That's what did it for me. 10 years from now, and then literally that dissatisfaction kind of enveloped me and pushed me forward to getting the book done. So we have to have dissatisfaction. Then once you have, you know, you say, what are the first steps? I usually tell people the first thing that I'm looking for are who are my supporters? And, you know, so you need to know we have what we call stakeholders, and stakeholders can either kind of be for or against you or completely neutral, right? But supporters are key stakeholders, like my husband who said, go walk the Camino or I'll find you to Vienna, Austria and leave my job. Supporters have your back. They want to see you be happy and successful, and they are going to kind of take your idea and encourage you and say, how's the idea coming along? You know, what are you doing with that? So just that, you know, support, even though they may not do a ton of work for you, they make things easier for you to just by their sheer encouragement and I what I hear from that because I've needed support is that it makes you feel not as alone and it also gives you an opportunity I would think based on what you're saying to bounce these ideas off it's not easy to bounce your own ideas because you're only hearing what you're hearing but when you right. do have people that are supporting you, they might say something that, frankly, you just never even, like, wow, really? I, I wouldn't have never mm-hmm. thought of that. And I don't, I, while, this, while this book has this um, younger age, I mean, those ages are younger than my children, I see how it's applicable to me today. I'm, in my, I'm, I'm almost 71 years old. So I, I don't think that it stops, that if you have a vision, whatever that vision might be, I, I just think that this is a book that helps guide you. I, I love the way you set it up. I love, I love this book. I love the way you set it up. I love the way the chapters are done. I love the way you ask the questions. And I, it, it's, just, it's just fabulous. Um, and I think it's really it's really easy for people to understand. But let me ask you, what's the one question we should be asking ourselves when we are stuck and we're not moving forward with something we want to do? What should we be saying to ourselves? What's getting in my way? And it sounds like a really simple question, and I will share that it took me a good 25 years in my professional career as a coach to find Hmm. that perfect question. When you ask an open-ended what question, um, and then just allow it to come forth, what's getting in your way? 
it is amazing to me how quickly people can pinpoint what it is. And my experience, I used to ask people all sorts of other questions kind of around that, figure out what the problem was. Is it this? Is it that? Is it the other thing? But when I just say what's getting in the way, it, even if I ask myself, it'll just kind of bubble up. And if you're, having, if you're feeling so stuck that it's not bubbling up, then I, what we do know is when that's a moment when you're, you're triggered. And what actually happens from a neuroscience standpoint in our brain is that we lose um, access to cognition, creativity, the ability to collaborate, and our perception. So we kind of close down. And so if you want to get unstuck, so you're asking yourself that question and you're concentrating so hard and you just want that answer, do something that enables you to relax. So, you know, I go out and take a walk. Um, Some people might listen to music. Some people might, you know, go out and, you know, play on their softball team. But do something different and just let it, it'll stay there. You ask that question, the brain's going to keep working on it. The answer will come let it go. Once you let it go and you relax, the answer will surface. I, I have experienced that. I know that. And um, I, you know, and, and some people, you know, meditate and do yoga and do different things. Mm-hmm. It just calms the body down and you just kind of almost think of it like a, a floating piece of paper that's just left. It's there. There's muscle memory. Your brain remembers, but you need to take a break and and um, reduce the anxiety. And um, I, I love how you said that. Um, I, you have you have some, I, I have so many more questions I can ask you. I wanted to ask you this: You have an exercise called "I Want to Want to," and I'm wondering mm-hmm. what does give us an idea of what that means. Okay, this is going to sound like such a crazy exercise, but no, it's trust not. me, it works. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it, it, it does. I tell people, and sometimes they look at me and they think, what? What? <laughs> but it really genuinely works. So it started with me 10 years ago. Um, I am not, like, the fact that I walked the Camino is pretty amazing. I'm not, I wasn't an athlete. Like, my husband is an Ironman athlete. Oh, boy. Uh, so he, he's done those. And he was a fantastic athlete in his youth. He played college soccer. You know, he's an amazing athlete. And he married somebody who's like 180 degree different. Uh, You know, very poor hand-eye coordination, you you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. So 10 years ago, looking at my mom and her health, so my mom is still alive, which is pretty remarkable, um, but looking at her and her health, thought, you know, I was an older parent. I had my daughters at 38 and 40. I really wanted to be a vital grandparent. I wanted to have vitality. And I, but then I went and talked to a doctor, and I said, I know what I need to do. I know I need to eat better. I know I need to exercise. But none of that was really working for me. So I knew intellectually what I should do. I just didn't have the emotion around it. And so I, I came up with this. Instead of saying I want to be vital, which is what I would want, I said I want to want to have vitality and energy because I knew something was blocked in me. I mean, it sounds like, of course I want to have vitality and energy, but I wasn't willing to do anything for it. So I want to want to have vitality and energy. And that's where I started. And I would just say that to myself every day. 
And within one year, I was working out six days a week. I was in the best shape of my life. But it started with this I want to want to have vitality and energy. That's so cool. That's so hopeful and 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 doable. But I think the key that you also have mentioned, it did not happen overnight. So you no. stuck no. to it. That's why you had success. But sometimes our past failures can really contribute to our success. And how do we like unload that and say, yeah, I am done with that what what would you offer as an example to how to unpack those past failures well i actually think past failures are really educational and they you know i i can look back on my own past failures and i i use something called the hero's journey with my clients um The hero's journey is the classic kind of Cinderella story, the karate kid. Pretty much almost any movie you watch has some version of the hero having to overcome all odds to rise to a new level of capability. And you can study it. I use an example in the book, and you can study your past failures and successes from the, the lens of the hero's journey and say, what enabled me to be successful and what got in the way when I, when I wasn't successful? And so when I find those pieces that got in the way when I wasn't successful, what can I do to help mitigate them, reduce the risk of them, get somebody else involved to help me get past that, learn a new way? So I find it really important to go back and look at our failures and say, this is an amazing learning opportunity if I'm willing to view it in that way and say, what would I do, where did I get stuck, and what would I do differently? And for each person, it's different. So I know that, you know, what I've learned in the past when I've gotten stuck and haven't moved forward on something, it's because I didn't, um, like I, I said, you know, I grew up um, in a really humble home and really in a, very, a lot of dysfunction, too. So there was mental illness, there was alcoholism, um, you know, there were different things going on in the family that created more dysfunction. And I really kind of, you know, did a lot of things on my own and believed that uh, anything was possible if I just worked hard enough and if I didn't give up, right? Um, but I get stuck, just like everybody does. And I have found through, through, honestly, my Camino experience that when I get stuck, it's because I actually need help and I have, I'm living under the illusion that I don't need any help. So now I know when I'm stuck, the first thing I should do is tell somebody I'm stuck and see if they have an idea. And that usually, it's amazing, but it usually um, snaps you out of it pretty quickly. Uh But that's my key learning. Everybody else has their own learning that they can see when they take the time to go back and look at those, um, say, what wasn't working? Where did I get stuck? Why did I get stuck? And really, you know, kind of dig into that. And then I have an exercise in the book, too. It's based on the work of Robert Keegan and uh, Lisa Leahy at Harvard School of Education around, they call it immunity to change, but it's like really taking a deeper dive look into what is really at the root of why I'm not moving forward and why I'm stuck. And um, uh, I 
I use it. I did an abridged version in the book to make it a little more consumable for people so that they can actually utilize it. But I think it's really important to look at those places where we're stuck because we will learn so much about who we are and how we can accomplish what we want in the, from those that's, moments. That's nice. You know, sometimes, do you think that sometimes we're not even aware that we are stuck Completely. Because usually, I think I figure it out a little sooner now, um, but I still can be completely oblivious. Like, things aren't moving, things aren't moving, I'm trying all these different ways, and then all of a sudden, I'll, now I think I have more discernment uh, and more experience to say, uh, I think I need to ask for some help. But, yeah, I think it's very easy to be stuck not knowing you're stuck. That, that's why I think it's important to go back and look for your own patterns. Because then you'll you start to notice things in a different way. Yeah, you, there, and there certainly needs to be a willingness um, to mm-hmm. want to do that to start with. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, when you talk, you mean you and I have never physically met, um, and you meet other people in your life. Um, do you sometimes, in the process of experiencing that person, whomever that person is at work, I don't know wherever. Do you ever recognize that perhaps you see them as stuck and they don't even know it, or would you not really be able to determine that? Oh, yeah. I I mean, I think, I mean, honestly, you know, from the nature of my work, absolutely. But, you know, know, just don't you, doesn't that happen for you, Marsha, where you kind of see it in your friends and family? Yeah. Yes. So, you know, yeah. You see it, and then sometimes it's hard to know how to bring it up with people. Right? True. Because you see it, and they're not yet aware of it, and you right. want to be gentle in how you address it with them, but you feel like, oh, they, you know, it's kind of like there's that tension between do I tell them and will they acknowledge it, or do they need to figure it out on their own? Right. And, and let's not discard the lifestyle we have all been living, what seems like, in my in my sphere forever um in this the sort of isolation of living that is so not like we used to be prior to the pandemic i'm certainly mm-hmm. not living the life that i was living prior to this and i would say there are a lot of people that are feeling stuck and isolated now there i i know i i know plenty of people that have absolutely embraced the working from home situation in Los Angeles of not getting on the freeway for an hour and a half to get to your job and an hour and a half to get home. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just being able to focus while you're at home and doing your work. There's certainly the the flip side. I have plenty of friends that have, that are, you know, my children's age that are trying to work from home, help their kids in school, Kids aren't going to school. Kids are frustrated. Kids want to go out and be kids. Do we wear a mask? Don't we wear a mask? Have you been vaccinated? Blah, 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 blah. Do we really want to watch any more news? I mean, we have been inundated, inundated. I mean, so put on the Olympics and you just watch some athletes for a while and you give yourself a mental break. But whatever Mm. that relaxation is, like you mentioned, you know, I, I was a membership director for 10 years at our local YMCA before I started 
way before I started doing podcasting and doing my show. But, I mean, it was just as important to me when I was there to speak to the members, much more important than what the budget was, getting on a treadmill next to somebody and starting a conversation with them. You know, those kinds of things have been somewhat eliminated right now for the time being. Yeah. And and I think that this is probably a good time to read your book and say, okay, this is a chance for me to sort of, I don't know, let's put quotes around, reinvent myself. Am I really living the life I want? And if I'm not... What's holding me back? What can I do? Your lessons are are tremendous, and I think it just it can apply. You know, it can apply to anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be how can I have a better job. It really could be how could I have a more happy life, or how can I have a more successful life, or how can I help somebody else do the same. What what skills, what do I have? You know, I'm a connector, Shannon. That's what I do. And if I'm out talking to somebody, because God knows that's what I do, um, and I might not even know you, I'll say, oh, I see you're wearing that, or oh, there's something about you that started a conversation. Maybe it's your dog. Oh, you have a pit bull. Where did you get your dog from? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I have a friend that works at Angel City Pit Bull Rescue. It can go anywhere. And sometimes people's lives are just enhanced by creating Mm. some new realities. And I don't know if that makes sense based on your book, but it, it makes sense based on how you speak and how you want us to get lessons. That, that it speaks to me that way. Would I? Am I on target with that? Oh, and thank you. Yes, because you know, to your point, you said, yeah, I wrote the book for my target audience was women in their mid twenties to late thirties. Mm-hmm. And what I have since I launched the book, March thirty fifth, thirty uh, first, not thirty fifth. Uh, March 31st, what I have found. Of this found year, it, correct? Excuse this me, sir, but March I, of the 2021. Of 2021, and yes. right away, and, and this just so delighted me. I had a young woman, 15 years old, in India, who heard about my book and sent me an email and said, and it was asking me about an idea she wanted to launch. I've also received beautiful stories from other people who are, you know, like yourself, you know, in, in their 70s and told me about things they still want to accomplish. So, you know, while I had a specific target in mind when I was writing, I do think, you know, I'm 50, I turned 56 on Thursday. There There's you go. so much more in my life I want to create. Sure. Still. I'm not done. And so, you know, I, my you're here on this earth, you have a dream. We all do. Right. We just don't always allow ourselves to allow it to come forward. But you're here for a reason. I believe everyone has something that's really unique about them. They're in the top one percentile of something. And they're here to execute it and make that potential come forward. And I just think, what would the world look like? if we were all really reaching and working toward our own potential, I think it would be a very different world. And so if, you know, my book um, and my story of hope and actually 
execution, how do you make it happen, can be of service to somebody, that's what I, I'm really hoping to have happen. And because I just think our world would be a much lovelier place. And I know that probably sounds to some very Pollyanna-ish. No, but, hey, well, maybe. I grew up in a home that, you know, people thought, you know, I think people, when they hear about my, I think when people hear where I went to school and the companies I've worked for, they think, oh, right. she was privileged. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I was privileged. I was born in the United States. That was my privilege. And right. I'm not, I don't have the story you think I have because of those things. Right. But we all have oh. a story, and that's what you're great at, Marsha, is pulling those stories out of people. You know, thank you for saying that, Shannon, because it's really, you know, we've had an outline of what we were going to talk about today, but because you are so easy to speak with and because you are so genuine, it allows me to be that same person mirroring you. I didn't write this book, but for me to be able to have the privilege, and that's really how I see it, to have a guest each and every week, and it seems like I have been author after author after author. People are contacting me that are publicists that are saying, hey, you know, I have a really great potential guest for you. I I would like to introduce you to this person. I love the nonprofit world. Uh, I, I, I... I'm in Rotary. I, 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 I'm a, I, I am. God, this is just so personal about me right now. But I have lived in the same community my entire life. Westchester is a small community within the large city of Los Angeles. We're right by the airport, and I've mm-hmm. lived here forever. I grew up here. I went to school here. My children went to to the same high school I went to. My husband was from Detroit, so he came out here after he graduated from college. But most recently, I've just been named the Honorary Mayor of Westchester, which is a one-year term where I'll be going to different businesses. It's through the Chamber of Commerce. Westchester is not a That's city. That's awesome. And I will be doing these, these big, gigantic scissors, right, a ribbon cutting as businesses open in our communities. And when they asked me to do this, it, it, it just sort of amplifies what's so important to me, which is the connections. Because we're talking, we're connected, you're in Washington, I'm, in, I'm mm-hmm. in California. People are listening across the country. You went to incredible universities. I'm sure you have connections still with the alumni there. And, and now you're about to take this journey with your daughter, which I must tell you, just that just sounds so phenomenal. How long will it take you to do that? 110 kilometers is how many miles? I, I don't know. It's a little more than 70 miles, and so okay. we're planning on we'll 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 leave, we'll go to Madrid, and then we'll go from Madrid to our starting point, and we'll probably walk five to six days. Um, and I, it's funny because for me, having walked the full 30 days, that's how it long it take, took me to do the the 500 miles. And to me, that just sounds like nothing, really. right? But then when I tell other people, they're like, "You're gonna," I mean, because you walk for eight hours a day. And, right. you know, you're going to do that for five to six days. And then, you know, you have to find your lodging and, um, you know, make your meals and, you know, carry your pack. So there's lots of things right. that go into it. 
But right. yeah, I'm just honestly, I'm delighted to be able to do it with my daughter because that was my dream. So when I mm-hmm. when I walked the Camino, um, at that point in time, I, I had mentioned I was really broken. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to have children after having two miscarriages. Right. And so I, when I walked it, I walked it for three generations. Um, mm-hmm. My mom, who was still recovering from cancer, myself, and my future generations. And I committed that I would, if I had children, I would make a point of walking with each child um, yes. along the Camino. And for many people, I know we're getting to the end of the hour, but I just wanted to add, for many people, it's a spiritual event. Um, um, it's a pilgrimage. Is the word Aberdeen, am I saying that word right? Is that, why, do I, why is that word bubbling up in my head? Is that the name of locations that you stay along that, or is that a word that, I don't even, that means nothing to the oh, Camino? No, I, I bet the word you're looking for is Alberque. That's so it. They, the, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of the, they're called refugios or alberque, and okay. uh, they mean the same thing. It's just the place of refuge. It's, it could be a hospital. It. Sometimes it's a gym, like on uh-huh. the floor. Um, right. You know, sometimes it's, uh, honestly, I'm like a, a gothic uh, cathedral, you know, just, I mean, amazing places. So you stay from really modest to really um, incredible places. Most of them are more modest, uh, you know, so if you get hot water, you're, feeling really lucky that day right um, right but yeah that's Alberta. that's the word you're looking for that is well listen shannon you know i i feel like this is a part one i i really feel like that that this was a wonderful introduction to you a wonderful introduction to your book the background your family and oftentimes I have my guests come back six, seven, eight months later, like, so what's been going on since we spoke last? You are far from done. And um, this has just been an honor and a pleasure to have you join me today on my podcast. Truly, I've enjoyed every moment of it. Thank you. And I've, I, I, I'm so grateful to be able to share the story of my Camino experience. I also want to let people know that when they do purchase my book, 10% oh, yes. of all my proceeds go to nonprofits that support um, uplifting women and children. And at once a month, I just did it last Wednesday, uh, I, do, I feature or spotlight one organization, and everything I sell on that Wednesday goes to the non, that specific nonprofit. So oh, I make a wow. point of every month, um, giving back uh, the book because, you know, I, I didn't get into this work to become rich and famous. I'm do, I, I wrote the book to be of service and to help uplift people in their lives. Well, you certainly should have a measure of success. And knowing, and I, I remember you telling me this, so I'm really glad you mentioned it, that, you know, proceeds do go to nonprofits. That's just another element of what makes you so uniquely special. So thank you. Um, all the best on your Camino in September. And um, I'm, I'm just really privileged and happy to have met you today. This is just what a way to start the week, right? I, it's, just, it's the best. So everybody, thank, thank you, you. For, for tuning in. And um, I'll be having somebody else. Um, join me next week. So until next time, everybody, be safe, be well, 
and thank you for continuing to support the Born to Talk radio show. Bye for now.